Galatians chapter 4. We are on verse 19. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again, until Christ be formed in you. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for wanting to change us. Lord, thank you for wanting to dwell within us and control us and use us. Lord, we're not worthy of that. Help us to understand that a little bit better tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we focused on the first part of that, my little children, my little children, and we learned a little bit this morning about spiritual leadership, about spiritual leadership. And boy, we need it, don't we? At lunch this afternoon I talked with my kids a little bit more about... I think all of us at Grace Baptist who are involved in ministry, who have our children in the children's ministry, if you're like me, how was Sunday school? What did you talk about? What did you do tonight on Wednesday night? And we discuss those things. But you know what I forget to ask? Do you believe it? How many of you know people who grew up in church and just never believed it? So that's a, that's a conversation that we need to have with our children. And uh, so I, I enjoyed that this morning. Um, I asked Aaron Edwards, I said, does that remind you of discipleship? Because almost everything is something from this morning is something that I would do in discipleship. But uh, So I enjoyed that this morning. So let's go to this next part. I want us to look at where it says in verse 19, My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. This is different than Christ in you. This is different than that. Christ being formed in you is different than Christ being in you. And so let's think about this. It says, and I hope that you'll mark this, it says, of whom I travail in birth. What does it say? Again. Again. This is a labor of love to see these believers come into Christ likeness. And the goal of the Christian life is Christ likeness. The goal of Christian education is Christ likeness. The goal of discipleship is Christ likeness. That's what we're trying to accomplish. And that's what this is about. Now, here's the thing that I think that we all know, but we need to think about a little bit tonight. Christ dwells in every believer. Do you all agree with that? Christ dwells in every believer. Let's track that down in Scripture. Go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Um, Let's look at verse 23. If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled... And be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature, and which unto every creature which is under heaven, whereof I Paul am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh, for his body's sake, which is the church. So the church is the body of Christ. You see that? All right. Then look at what it says, verse 25. whereof I am made a minister, so he was repeating that, according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. So God dispensed something to the Apostle Paul. All right, that's a dispensation. He gave something to the Apostle Paul, dispensed something to him. What is that? Well, look at what it says. Even the mystery which had been hid from ages... And from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, 
To whom? The saints. God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And this is something that we've got to kind of grasp this. How many of you have ever wondered how Abraham could behave the way he did? Jacob could behave the way he did. David could behave the way he did. They did not have the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. They didn't know anything about that. That's an interesting thing to me. How do we know that they didn't know anything about it? Because the Apostle Paul said that was hid from all ages until it was revealed to him. That was a special dispensation of information. That's what a mystery is. A mystery is something that was hid for all ages until God chose to reveal it. Let's track that down in Scripture. Now, this mystery is that Christ is in us, but let's get the biblical definition of a mystery. Go to Romans chapter 16. This is something that um, I have to deal with every, I think, just about every week of my life in dealing with preachers because there are many preachers who they don't realize this or they don't accept it. They just think that Abraham was saved the same way that we were saved, that he trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and had the indwelling Holy Spirit. We know that that's not true, right? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. What did he believe? Well, that he was supposed to get out of that land and go to another land and that God was going to make of him a great nation. That's what he believed. Abraham believed the word of God about that and God counted that belief as righteousness. So salvation is always belief in the word of God. What has God required of you? We believe the gospel. Amen? And when we believe the gospel, we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. But this idea of Christ being in us is a mystery. So let's get a biblical definition of a mystery. Look at Romans 16, verse 25. Now to him that is of power to establish you, according to my gospel, and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery. So now we're going to see the definition of a mystery again which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. So a mystery is something that was hid from the beginning of the world until God revealed it. Is that right? Go to Ephesians chapter 3. It would be good. There are seven mysteries identified in the New Testament. Maybe one of these Sunday nights or something. It would be good to break down those seven mysteries for you. But Ephesians chapter 3 and look at verse 3. Um, I guess verse 1. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words. And he talks about the mystery of Christ. Look at verse 5. Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Look at verse 9. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, 
which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now, under the principalities and powers in heavenly places, might be known, what's it say? By the church, the manifold wisdom of God. So here's the idea. A mystery is something that could not be known unless God had revealed it. And God revealed more mysteries to the Apostle Paul than anyone else in the New Testament. And he revealed it to them. He got it, Paul got it by revelation. No one taught it to him. We already saw that earlier in Galatians. He said, they added nothing to me. I went to, I went to meet the apostles. They added nothing to me. All right? So G, the Apostle Paul heard this and learned it directly from Jesus Christ. So now let's look at this mystery that... Paul was dealing with back in Colossians. So go back to Colossians 1.27. The reason that it's important that we discuss this, what we just covered, is we believe in a dispensational approach to the Word of God. Now, the word dispensation, what we're talking about, you would think of the word economy, that God, when He dealt with Adam and Eve in the garden before sin, there were different requirements than we have today. Would you agree with that? Different requirements. Why? Because sin hadn't entered into the world yet. So obviously he dealt with Adam differently than he dealt with us. Immediately after the fall, then people were dealing with human conscience. They, they, were, they had to do right. God told them to, do, to make sacrifices, and they had to do right. And we understand Cain didn't do that, did he? Simple obedience. He couldn't practice simple obedience. And so you have human conscience all the way up until the flood. Well, how did it do with men, you know, Jiminy Cricket theology, follow your heart? How did that go? It didn't. It ended up in worldwide flood. The Bible says the, the thoughts of men were only evil continually, the Bible says. So he destroys the world. And so then you have human government. Human government goes until the Tower of Babel, and everyone come, everyone's together in the same area. And the Bible says that, that their imaginations, that they would be able to accomplish anything. And so he confounded their languages, and he scattered them abroad. And that enters into a new area, beginning with Abraham, the dispensation of the patriarchs. And Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, how did they do? They end up as prisoners in Egypt, worshiping calves. So then God gives them the law, the dispensation of the law. And they have to be obedient to this law to stay in the land. And he gives them these requirements that they just can't keep. They can't keep until finally Jesus Christ comes. The Bible says he enters into this world of darkness, this world of the law, and he brought us light. And now Jesus Christ died. Jesus said, this cup is the New Testament of my blood. And this New Testament dispensation, this concept of the church, this idea that Gentiles are a part of Christ, that's a mystery. That Jews and Gentiles are together in the body of Christ. That was a mystery. And what does he give us? Here we are in verse 27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Bible says, now we, I asked you a minute ago, how many of you believe that Jesus Christ is in every believer? And we all raise our hands, right? You know that the Bible says we're rich? That's the riches. Look at that. It says the, what, that God would, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery. You know that you've got a glorious mystery in you? And that's Jesus Christ. That's Jesus Christ. Uh, look with me at uh, Romans 8. Christ in you. Romans 8. 
Verse 10. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. See, all of us have a body of sin. Amen? But you don't have to sin. Yet the Holy Spirit, the spirit of life in you, because Christ is in you. This is why the Apostle Paul is praying and is travailing again until Christ be formed in you. Look at this next passage. Go to 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? I had some. I remember when I was a teenager, a preacher said this, Where have you taken Jesus this week? Where have you taken the Holy Spirit this week. You have the Holy Spirit of God in you. Is that right? You have the Holy Spirit of God. That is Christ in you. That is the Spirit of Christ dwelling in you. And there's a, there's a result. Look at verse 17. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. You, listen, you can bring about destruction in your body very simply by defiling the temple of God. That's what the Bible says. Christ in you. Christ is in you. Look at Galatians chapter 2. Look at verse 20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth where? In me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And when we live that life through the Spirit of Christ, you know what we're doing? We're not frustrating the grace of Christ, the grace of God. Look at what it says in verse 21. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. If we could live a life that would bring righteousness, then Jesus Christ didn't need to die. That's why we have the Holy Spirit of God in us. So now that we have the Holy Spirit of God in us, we can live that righteousness. So let's think some more about Christ being formed in us. Christ is in us. How does Christ get in us? Look at Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3 and verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts. What does it say right there? By faith. That ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. I, I, I point this out to you just about every time we read it. But if you have any physics people in here, there are four dimensions mentioned here. See, God understands things far beyond what anybody else does. Thousands of years before anybody thinks about it. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Some of you are thinking, what's that talking about? Harry Starnes understands, don't you, Brother Harry? You get it. I think it was, uh, I think Stacy said, if you ask Harry what time it is, he'll tell you how the watch works. Is that right? Yeah. Um, but that, that's an interesting thought. But look at what it says. How does Christ come to dwell in our hearts? How does he do it? By faith. How does that happen? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, the same book. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So every believer has Jesus Christ in him. And Jesus Christ desires to accomplish something in us. 
and He gets in us by faith when we are saved. All right? So, here's the question. Is Jesus Christ in every believer? All right? So then let me ask it another way. Does every believer have the Spirit? Yes, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. It's just worded a different way. Look with me at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and look at verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. How many of you have ever wondered? You know, the Bible talks about having the Holy Spirit dwell in you, and then it says the Spirit of Christ. How is that the same thing? Well, this verse defines that. The Spirit of God and the Spirit of Christ are the same thing. Christ is God. We have the Trinity. So the Spirit of Christ is the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in you. And if you're born again, you have that Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not born again. So then the question comes, well, if I have the Holy Spirit, then am I going to speak in tongues? No. No. Every believer has the Holy Spirit of God and nowhere in the Bible does it command you to speak in tongues. It commands you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Is that right? But it doesn't command you to speak in tongues. Those things are completely separate, completely different. And uh, we're not going to go into the gift of tongues tonight uh, or teaching on it, but uh, that is not the, the sign gift of the Holy Spirit. If the Spirit is not in you, then you are not saved. So... Now, let's go back to Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again, until Christ be formed in you. What does it look like for Christ to be formed in you? What does that look like? Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Let's start reading in verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Edifying is to build up till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. There's a lot of ofs there, isn't there? All right, so this is it. This is the biblical definition of having Christ formed in you. What is it? It's spiritual maturity. It's spiritual maturity. That's what it is. So here's what the Apostle Paul was striving for, and this is what God gave apostles like Paul, prophets as we had in the Scriptures, evangelists to church planters, missionaries, and then the one office of the pastor and teacher. What is that for? It's to build you up to do the work of the ministry because the work of the ministry, doing the work of the ministry, accomplishes something in your life. If you're not serving God through ministry, you will never, you will never have Christ formed in you, according to this text. Do you hear what I just said? If you're not serving God through ministry in the New Testament church, you can never come to the fullness 
of Christ, the stature of the fullness of Christ. Look at what it says. Verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the what? For the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. That word perfect in your Bible always means mature, complete. All right? Till we come into the, the, a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Well, what does that look like? What does the stature of the fullness of Christ look like? It's a good question, isn't it? Let's read on. This is what that looks like. That we, henceforth, be no more children. You know what I just said maturity is? Perfection is? Christ-likeness is? It's maturity. Don't be a child. Have you ever said this to somebody? You need to grow up. I had some friends in college. They're roommates of mine. And I ran into one 10 or 15 years later, and he hadn't changed a bit. Wasn't married. Wasn't... He hadn't grown up. It was kind of sad. How many of you have met people like that? You know them. They're just stuck. Do you know, we know a lot of people like that spiritually. They're just stuck. They're not going to grow. What makes people grow? Doing the work of the ministry. How many of you have noticed that? Did you grow more in the Lord as you start serving the Lord? Discipleship. Being discipled, memorizing the scripture, being at a specific place, doing what you're supposed to do. And then for me, I tell people that I think one of the reasons that God called me to be a pastor was because it was one of the only ways that would keep me straight because I got to stand up and talk to you about this. And let me tell you, there's not a worse feeling in the world than communicating the Word of God when you know you're not right with God. That's Patrick, did that ever happen to you? Brother Ferrier, did that ever happen to you? It's brutal, isn't it? And it is tough. And let me say this. When it happens, you don't want it to happen again. It's a horrible feeling. It's a horrible feeling. And it's the same thing with discipling. How many of you have ever been discipling and you're talking to your disciple about something that you're struggling with in your own life? You're teaching through that lesson and the Holy Spirit of God is just pounding on your door while you're teaching it to them. That happens to me almost every time I disciple. That's the purpose of ministry. Ministry matures you. Having responsibility in the house of God, among the people of God, it grows you. Shauna, working with the young ladies in ministry, it grows you, doesn't it? You want to kill them, don't you? <laughs> it, it grows you. It helps you so much. It, it's, it's cool. Then look at what it says. That we henceforth... Be no more children. And what is a definition of a child here? How does the Bible describe a child? Look at what it says. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and by cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. All right, so here. Here's what a, a child in the faith does. They don't know what they believe. I, I think it's interesting that we have churches that teach very little scripture, very little doctrine, and then they wonder why their believers are not mature. Bill Hybels is the pastor of Willow Creek Community Church in Barrington, Illinois. And about 20 years ago, maybe a little bit longer than go that, he was the father of this what is called the seeker-sensitive ministry model. And they would go and knock on the door and ask people, what are you looking for in a church? And give them that. 
Um, he, how many of you have seen the book Being a Contagious Christian? Have you ever seen that book? That's Bill Hybels. That's Bill Hybels, a very famous man in Christianity. Well, two or three years ago, they did a survey. There, there are thousands of Willow Creek churches all over the country and probably all over the world now. And they did a survey of what did those people believe, what did they know, what were their attitudes on divorce, abortion, all of these different things. There was no difference between the general population and the membership of Willow Creek churches. Why? The social, seeker-sensitive, appealing to the culture ministry does not grow people. It grows crowds. It grows beautiful buildings. It grows finances. But it does not mature believers. What matures believers? Doctrine. Teaching the Word of God. And so a child in the faith doesn't know what they believe. They don't know. I remember when I was Jacob's age. I was around 13. And I started becoming interested in doctrine. I went to a Christian school where some of the kids didn't believe in eternal security. So I started studying and trying to understand eternal security. When I was 13, answering these questions. You say, well, you were weird. Well, that's true. But... Every child in here ought to be wrestling with those things and learning those things and knowing how to explain them to somebody else. I remember Pastor Nathan, when he was in high school, he came to me and he said, "Um, Pastor Jim, I've got a friend who goes to the Methodist church. What do Methodists believe? And so I was able to teach him what Methodists believe. And his eyes got real big. He said, they believe that? Yeah, that's, that's what they believe. Why would they believe that? Because they don't go by every word of God. That was a turning point in Pastor Nathan's life. It helped him because he was thinking about these things. What was he doing? He was maturing. He was, as a high schooler, he was growing up and understanding things about the word of God. That's what maturity is. All right? So we're talking about Christ being formed in you. Look at what it says in verse 15. But, so we're not tossed about, We know the Word of God. We have discernment. We're not being deceived by cunning men with craftiness who are trying to deceive us. Then look at verse 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. All right? So here's another thing. You're not a spiritually mature person. Christ is not being formed in you until you're speaking the truth to someone else. Who are you teaching the Word of God to? All of a sudden, we're starting to see what Christ being formed in you is. This is... And I just told our disciplers last week in our discipler meeting, I'm going to do a better job, Lord willing, with His help of talking about discipleship more here. Because we need more of you teaching the Bible to someone else. I'm tired of seeing people come in, get excited and leave like we preached on last week. I'm tired of that. We have got to get them plugged into ministry, hearing the Word of God, and then speaking the Word of God to someone else. Amen? Y'all agree with that? You are not spiritually mature. You are not living out the Christian life. Christ is not being formed in you until you are speaking the truth in love to someone else. But silent Christians are not mature Christians. There is no such thing as a mature, silent Christian. Amen? 
Now, I know there's a smart aleck out there thinking, well, what if they can't talk? Well, then they can write or whatever. You understand what I'm talking about, right? There's no such thing as a silent believer. Look at what it says. But speaking the truth in love may, what's it say? Grow up. What does speaking the truth in love do in your life? It causes you to grow up. To grow up. And yet, there are many people who can't even make it through discipleship, let alone disciple someone else. That tells me that they're immature in the faith. Is that fair? Y'all think that that's fair? Well, my discipler stinks. Sorry. Sorry. Is it your discipler's job? Is it your discipler's job to grow you in the faith? I had some teachers in college that were lousy. How many of you went, went to college and had a lousy teacher? Yeah. Did you still have to finish that class? Right? And you say, well, that teacher ought to be better. Yeah, and I ought to be 6'4". This is life. This is reality. Let's stop trying to look for crutches. So then, look at what happens. Look at what happens. Verse 15. So, we're growing up into the head, but speaking the truth and love may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. That's, that's being having Christ formed in you. Then look at verse 16. From whom? Jesus. The whole body... Fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. I have a tool in my shop. It's called a joiner. And what that does, if you look at your pew, look at the pew next to you. All right? That's not a solid piece of wood. Do you see the little seams in there? The joiner makes that piece of wood completely flat so you can glue it to another piece of wood and it looks like one piece of wood. That's, that's what a joiner does. That's what the Holy Spirit does with you in the church. We have a seamless, complete, mature ministry when every believer in the church is doing their job. They're serving Him. They're growing up in Him. They're speaking the Word of God to someone. They grow. Look at, look at what it says. Jesus Christ does this. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted. What is that? What's a trash compactor do? You know, it's funny. That's kind of what the Holy Spirit is in the church. It takes a bunch of people that really aren't worth much and compacts them into something that's glorious. It's called a church. Individually, individually, we can't accomplish that much. Together as a church, it's amazing what God can do with us. It is amazing. Then, from whom... The whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. That's what it means to have Christ formed in you. That's what it is. What's it look like? Ephesians chapter 5. We all know it. Verse 18. You know what? Let's look at uh, verse 14. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then, 
that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine where is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. What's that look like? Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, where do those come from? The Word of God. Singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. You understand that God can never compact this whole church together unless we submit ourselves one to another. Is that right? That's, that's what has to happen. Then look at what it says. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it, by the washing of water, how? By the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Praise the Lord. That's it. That's it. Be filled with the Spirit. Have Christ formed in you. You're filled. The form of Christ is in you. That means you're starting to look like Christ. But you ready? This is what's so awesome. Here's what legalistic churches do. They start on the outside. Christ starts on the inside. And He grows in you so much until your outside looks like Him. Amen? That's awesome. How does that happen? Colossians chapter 3. I may have told you this before. We've looked at this passage in connection with this before. I've never heard this preached at a conference in my entire life. I've never heard it preached in a church service. I've never heard what I'm telling you preached in church. And I don't know why. I guess it's just people don't compare Scripture. So how is Christ going to be formed in you? Well, it takes a lot of work. The Apostle Paul was travailing in birth again until that happened. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the fullness of the stature of Him, of Christ Jesus. Amen? It's work. But how does that happen? Look at what it says. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ... Dwell in you, what? Richly. Well, we've already seen that we have the riches of a mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen? That's, a, that's rich. But now he says, no, we want more than that. Now we want that Spirit of Christ to dwell in you richly. How does that happen? Through His Word. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. 
Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. There is no respect of persons. So what happens? How is Christ formed in you? By letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Again, maturity happens through teaching the word of God, understanding doctrine, you wrestling with these doctrinal ideas, getting them settled in your heart and your mind, and you begin teaching someone else. You're involved in ministry, teaching someone else. You're growing in the Lord. How does that happen? The Word of Christ dwelling in you richly. It's got to dwell in you. You've got to... Uh, gotta, how does that happen? Well, first of all, you've got to read it. Is that a good starting place? See, we go from up here, let the words of Christ dwell in you richly. Well, how do I... Do? Well, you've got to read it. Is that a good starting place? Who here would testify? Pastor, I need to read the Bible more. You don't have to raise your hands. <laughs> let's, let's go ahead. I'll put mine up. I need to read the Bible. How many of you would say, I need to read the Bible more? Okay, that's step one. That's step one. We want to grow. Then number two, read it, number one. Number two, study it. Study it. Uh, there's this preacher, famous preacher. He's known for reading ten chapters of the Bible a day. And I said to a friend one time, I've heard this guy preach probably 30 times. It seems like one of these days, one of those chapters would actually make it into a sermon. No understanding of the Scriptures ever from this guy, ever. It's all just practical, which, you know, it's helpful, but that doesn't mature people. That doesn't mature people. Read it and study it. Study it on your own. Start learning it. And then, how do you do that? By comparing it. How did we understand what being filled with the Holy Spirit is? We compared the characteristics of being filled with the Holy Spirit to the characteristics of letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. It's the same thing. That's comparing it. So, reading it, studying it, comparing it, then memorizing it. Memorizing it. I, I was thinking today, I was watching the, this show this afternoon, Selling Los Angeles. And they showed Wilshire Avenue. And I, I knew a man that was called the King of Wilshire Avenue. He was the, one of the top-selling real, realtors on Wilshire Avenue. Stan Nelson was his name. And that guy, when he spoke, he actually spoke Scripture. In conversation. It just, as a part of his conversation, he was speaking the Word of God. What had happened? The Word of Christ had dwelled in him richly. We need to do that. We need to memorize it. We need to know where that is. I tell people that's what discipleship did for me. When, when we learned discipleship, it, it showed me where in the Bible many of the things I believed were found. How many of you felt that same way? That's what discipleship does. That's what teaching the Word of God does. Reading it, studying it, comparing it, memorizing it, and then submitting to it. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Submitting to it. And then, once I've submitted to it, then I can live it. Then I can live it. And then you know what happens? When that happens, I want to speak it. I want to speak it. So what does it mean? What does it mean for Christ to be formed in you? That the Word of Christ is dwelling you richly as you read it, study it, compare it, memorize it, submit to it, live it, and speak it. Let's become, let's become a church of mature believers. Amen?
Here's the deal. You young guys here on the front row, you can be telling somebody the Word of God. You can, all of you, you ladies, you can be talking about the Word of God with other people. You can understand it and know it yourselves. But you ladies, you ought to be communi- You older ladies should be teaching a younger lady. You older men should be teaching a younger man. All of us need to be communicating the gospel, what we believe on every subject from the Word of God, beginning with the gospel to someone else. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord, so much for your word.